Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It's a happy Monday to you folks. Can you believe it's already a new week? Well, guess what, folks? This is the week that you look at yourself in the mirror and say, this is the day that I know somebody believes in me. For some of you, it might be your spouse or your romantic partner, but some it might not. For some, it might be a friend or a teacher. Maybe it's your boss or a student or a family member. But know this, there's at least one person out there that does believe in you and the life that you're trying to build. If you're thinking that you don't have somebody that believes in you, just remember this. It's us sometimes who forget to believe in people because someone at some point in our life broke our trust. Believe in people. It is the people who provide meaning to your life as a friend, a customer, a parent, a stranger, or a neighbor. It's people who believe in you. Be grateful for the ones who believe in you and embrace it with all your heart. Now let's get this party started on a Monday morning. All right. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. And a happy Memorial Day to you folks. It is a gorgeous day outside. I hope you're having a gorgeous day here. Sterling, you made it. Wow, you came in from the lakes, huh? Crawled back into civilization from the outlands. Boy, man, you had a... Looked like you had a pretty festive time over the weekend. Well, I was working. I was playing. I was having fun, hanging out with friends, you know. Now, is that like a gainer or is that just Saudi Arabia chic people that you've got? (laughs) I I noticed that... uh, the, what is that? The, the thing that covers your neck in the back, that old uh, that hat with the, you know what I'm talking oh, about? With the the flaps. chic hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. No, none of that. No, no, no okay. chics. No, no. Notice uh, one of the pics, someone had a fanny pack. Is that, did, I, did I see that right? Are fanny packs making their well, way it back? Was, it, was a, it was an 80s theme, you know? Hey, any one of us that traveled back to Saudi Arabia when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, one of the first things our parents gave us was a fanny pack. You put your passport, your traveler's checks. Your needles, little pocket knife. So the yeah. guy wearing sunglasses and every single picture probably was dead then. No. He, he wasn't was, just no, sleeping. It was, was not a Bernie. Okay. Not <laughs> a weekend at Bernie's. No, no. When you're that cool, the sun shines on you 24 hours a day. Folks, welcome to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. And we, yes, we are live here in studio <laughs> on a Memorial Day, We're Monday working. Memorial Day. Working hard. We've got a few things to get to. We're going to be kind of a lighter show today, but we're going to have some barbecue tips. So we will have Mm. a couple barbecue tips for you because, of course, everybody likes to barbecue on a day like today. And, of course, the barbecue kind of is embedded in the oil and gas community and the culture as well as builds community and culture. We'll be at the Bakken Barbecue. Smoked and sauced protein. It's just delicious. So you know what we're doing? What, what, what? Talk to the owner of Dapple Barbecue, oh. who's going to be at the Crude Life Tent of Diversity at the Bakken Barbecue. <laughs> inclusion tent? Oh, no. Tent of Diversity. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, no. I, 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 I've already announced it on Facebook and, <laughs> and uh, LinkedIn. Twitter, too. Oh, man. We're not quite on the instant gram yet. 
I hear that's on the internets now. Yep. Well, we got to get ourselves one of them social media gals. <laughs> and it's got. I, and I'm. I'm be really upfront with you. I'm going to put a girl in charge of social media. That's probably appropriate. Yep. We could. We could put our peanut gallery in there. But I, I want. I want a female to kind of. I, I. I want more of a softer edge that a female can bring now if a guy can do it fine yeah that's fine but we're more likely to embarrass ourselves like <laughs> stupendously i'm not trying to make this into a hooters thing <laughs> but here we are I'm not trying to make this into what's the male equivalent of the hooters every other restaurant Is in america there, yeah chippendales <laughs> i don't know no i think it's called cox cox yeah it's with a rooster right oh. right yeah I wonder what the meaning is. Well, there. turtleneck didn't do as well. <laughs> <laughs> didn't do well on the East Coast. <laughs> oh, I remember that it was a place called Pigs and Blankets. <laughs> Franks and Beans. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, we've got a lot that we've got going on. Of course, Mark Eaton passed over the weekend, bike accident. And he was a advocate for the oil and gas industry, primarily natural gas. He was a big believer in uh, foundation fuel but more importantly what much like ken hall with missouri river resources talked about with the native americans about empowerment that's a lot what mark mark eaton did a lot of that in a speaking tour he'd go to communities he went he was out in the bakken that's how i met him and then i met him actually i interviewed him in jackson hole oh wow at one of your conferences great story by the way so Jackson Hole, Wyoming, probably one of the most beautiful places on the yeah, planet. Pretty expensive, At least in America. <laughs> Very expensive. Did I ever tell you the Harrison Ford story? Oh, you saw him up there? No, no, but he lives there. Oh, okay. He I lives did, there. I did know that, yeah. And so I'll tell the Harrison Ford story, then my Mark Eaton story. So Harrison Ford... It's very well known that he drives all over town on his motorcycle. All right. Well, one day, a guy worked in the convenience store... Guy walks up, Harrison Ford walks up, he's still wearing his helmet, and the guy makes a joke. He goes, who do you think you are, Darth Vader? <laughs> he flips up the visor and he goes, no, Han Solo. It's, it's so great. It pays and walks away, right? <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. I've heard he's a bit of a curmudgeon. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, his <laughs> wife's Allie McBeal, right? They were. You could have done worse. At least maybe they still are. I don't know. No, they are. Yeah, they they, are. they've okay. been together forever. Yeah. And then uh, the story I have, though, is with Mark Eaton in Jackson Hole, where I, this was at that economic and energy conference where the Federal Reserve people come in. And that's where I met Rob Ryan, the, the would it be fourth on the, what do you got, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And then yep. actually Rob Ryan would probably be next in terms of... Like clout, you mean? Well, he sold... Lucid Technologies, Accent Technologies, back in the 90s. Okay. In the, it was the billions in the 90s. Wow. Right, and it was the largest yeah. uh, technology. That's serious walking So around have money. you ever heard of the local area network, the LAN? Yes, LAN. LAN. He invented that. Oh. Right. So basically, he did invent the internet. Okay. Okay, this guy was there. Wow. I got one or two interviews. He worked with Al Gore? Well, no, Al Gore just basically stole the idea from him (laughs) and then met with Leonardo DiCaprio and put out a movie about how the world's ending because of coal. I liked it when Leonardo DiCaprio just did paintings and sculptures. The political stuff is just... I liked it when he lived above Alan Thicke's garage. Right? Life was so much easier then. Oh, my. Wow. Remember? Yeah. First TV appearance, maybe? 
I probably no, it was it was it was the end of the Seavers. Yeah, that's yeah, all I that's, know. Yeah, it was a, it was the a jump the Leo or jump the shark moment there. Well, Mike Seaver got too Christian, so they had to bring in a good, bring good in a, bring a in young, good-looking guy yeah. who's not as pre. Well, he was converting cast members. You're right, <laughs> that Kate or no Kate converted Getting him fired too. I the, the the cheerleader girl, the yeah. uh, Kate, right? She converted him. Oh. And That's right. He, and then he started trying to convert Tracy Gold, and she's like, uh-uh, I got enough lifestyle movies, Lifetime movies ahead of me. <laughs> I'm good. Oh, she made Lifetime, her and uh, Marky Post from, oh, man. from Night Court. Okay, anyway, Laughing sorry, a little inside baseball. Off the rails there. Really far off the rails there. <laughs> At least we didn't get to kiss my grits. <laughs> we, we, did, we were on our way, though. We didn't end up in Alice country. <laughs> hey, you're from Arizona, right? Yeah. Where yeah. was Alice? Was it Texas or Arizona? <laughs> Mel's Diner. I thought it was supposed to be in Arizona. Okay. But maybe New Mexico, too, for all By the way, I'm now shirtless here in the studio because... We've been playing spin the ball. Oh, What's going I, on? I got sunbaked yesterday. And so I was wearing a uh, hooded sweatshirt with nothing underneath. Oh, so you got a little cooked. You're a little crispy. And right now I got a little warm and a little itchy. Don't you know we still got a couple of weeks till the barbecue out back in the area? I just feel a little odd in the studio here with no shirt on. It's a little odd to me. Okay. Well, it's a little odd for me, too. So so uh, Mark Eaton, the story of Mark Eaton is, is that I, I interviewed him at this conference in Jackson Hole. And Mark Eaton's seven foot four. Wow. Okay, he's a very... I realize he was such a mountain of a man. He's a very tall man. Okay. And so there was probably about 1,000 people at this conference, maybe 800. They had, by the way, Rolls Royces that you could drive. That's, I mean, it was a high-end. Wow. Like, high-end. I've never even had a Hot Wheels Rolls Royce. I mean, you had to have a, do a background check before you <laughs> could drive it, but... You know, so I, I was probably a credit check. I didn't get to, but you know. Um, so so he's seven foot. So I interview Mark Eaton, and then uh, later on, you know, do some things. They have a comedian there, and he's got a puppet and a few things like that. And, Puppets? Now this is a fun yeah. show. Well, the next day, two day conference. The next day, Sean Bradley shows up, seven foot six. Sean Bradley. Somebody get a basketball. Come on. From Utah. All right. Uh, pl- played for Utah. Yeah, I was going to say postman here. Come on. And drafted by the 76ers. And he does a lot of Mormon mission work still mm. out of Utah. Okay. Well, he happened to be in Jackson Hole that day, and he heard Mark Eaton was in town. So he just showed up to make sure Mark Eaton was not the tallest guy at the conference. <laughs> and then he left. That was all he that did. That was all he did. He just huh? basically showed up, said that's why he's here, yeah. announced it to as many people to <laughs> spread that rumor. What'd you do today, honey? I stuck it to some short guy. To totally, conference. man. And so, I mean, I thought, you know what? That has got to be one of the best running jokes. Oh, man. Like, if you know that, let's say Shaq is in town and he's only seven foot two. Right. And you're Mark Eaton and you're seven foot four. Honey, we got to go stop at yeah, we so and so. Stand next what? to Shaq for a minute. Well, well, Shaq's there, and I need to be the tallest guy at the conference. <laughs> Guys that tall are a little intimidating, man. They're like load bearing. You know, you build a house on top of them. When I met the giant, Paul White, uh, WWE, the giant, oh, the giant, the, the big real show, giant. the big show, not okay. Andre the giant, no, not Andre, but the giant, uh, Paul White, the big show. He's now on a. E W whatever Chris Jericho 
and Tony Khan's league is uh, Cody Rhodes. You got me. Yeah. Anyway, it's the it's the new kind of uh, stepchild one. Okay. Sort of an offshoot and, uh, splinter group. Yeah, but they've got some money back, and I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars owners behind it. So he's just throwing money at it. So they they got the they poached the big show from the WWE, right? Oh man. Well, he's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever ever meet in your life, and I'm not kidding you. Seriously, okay. he's really a nice man. I've met him multiple times, but when I met him, when I shook his hand. I extended my hand in from the tip of my thumb yeah. to the very end of my pinky. Okay. I mean, we're talking what? Inches to a foot, right? Of what, whatever that is. That didn't even reach around the palm of his hand. Not wow. where the fingers it's start. Like a catcher's mitt. Oh, he just, my whole hand was gone almost up to, I mean, at least my up to my forearm. Right. The femur. <laughs> is the femur on the arm or the leg? I think the I, femur's on the leg. I think it's on the leg, yeah. too. Tibula, maybe. Okay, you know. well, it almost up to my elbow, but yeah, he's like, hey, how you doing, Jason? And uh, Shake just, some bones around. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, you go up and down yeah. like in the cartoons. Yeah. You go where my where Eden wants you to go. And so, uh, yeah, Mark Eaton, though, nice guy. So he was... He he would talk uh, different communities about when they would go through these oil booms about teamwork, the importance of teamwork. Yeah. And what we got into kind of outside of what his speaking circuit was that got picked up by some, you know, some, some different sports media back in the day was a question that I asked both Dale Brown, okay. the coach of uh, Shaq and uh, uh, Ronnie and Ronnie Henderson and Randy Livingston out of Louisiana state and, I think Oliver Miller came out of there, too. Damn. Sta- no, I'm sorry. Stanley Roberts Stanley is who I met. Not Oliver Miller went to Arkansas. Uh, but D- Dale Brown, I asked him the same question. But Mark Eaton and I got into the conversation about whether John Wooden would last in today's world coaching. The most successful coach of all time, Mark Eaton, said absolutely not. He would have got fired yeah. because it took him 13 years to win his first championship. And in today's cut now culture, win now culture. So he'd go into communities and try to tear down silos. He was doing this back in, you know, back in 2014 when I interviewed him. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're going to air that interview or portions of that interview here. Kind of our memorial to Mark Mark Eaton. It's our, this is our only connection, Absolutely. really. You know, well, and it should be interesting too, because 2014, you know, we were still pretty much in in uh, boom times. You know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, what he's talking about there with what you do in the times that are bust, yeah, you know, and how you take care of people. It's either 14 or 15. I interviewed him twice, and um, the one I'm going to r- run is the Jackson Hole interview. So, also coming up a little later in the program, Kathleen Skama. She's going to talk about how the Great Outdoors Act and how the oil and gas industry has funded millions of dollars to make this Memorial Day fantastic. No matter what your cultural leaning is or your political beliefs are, oil and gas activity and revenues have created a good Memorial Day for everybody. So she's going to talk about that. And, you know, looking at the weather right now, it looks like pretty much across the country, people should be enjoying a fairly nice day. Oh, can you reach in the drunk drawer to see if I got any ben aloe vera or He's any sort of... Uh, I'm actually watching his skin get red and flake in you get, real time. You got a junk drawer at your house? Oh, yeah. I got a junk drawers, man. It's kind of like the... Uh, it's kind of like the general store, man. You never know what you're going to get. Like I've, I, as I noticed, you're kind of opening that one. I mean, I've got uh, air freshener mist. I saw air well, fresheners. I saw band aids, pens, 
Anytime you have as much salad as I do, you you, you want an air freshener on hand. <laughs> and I don't like to have the aerosol ones. I like the mist. Right. Me and my hippie ways. I was just going to say. Actually, I make a lot of my own. I thought mist. that was what yeah. was going to happen. Yeah, you're mist making. You're more of a wet gas kind of guy. What's the weirdest thing you got in your junk drawer? Uh, I mean, it's Memorial Day, man. Geez, we, we, man. I want to keep it light. Oh, you know what? I've, got a, I've, I've got a bag of bits and pieces to Ikea furniture that were extra. Okay. And it scares me when there's extra parts, so I keep them. Uh, we've got some of those uh, snap pops. Oh, yeah. The ones that you throw the in throw. there. Yeah, that's always nice to put in a junk right. drawer. <laughs> well, I, I get when, a little when, surprise. When you started mentioning uh, you know, some of the things the other day about your junk drawer, I started thinking about that going, you know, it is. It's like, it's like one of those, when you get done at the dentist mm-hmm. and he's got a bunch of toys you've never seen in your life before, <laughs> but they're all craptastic. Yeah. Like they're... They're all horribly great. In no way would you be excited if someone gave you that as a gift. Yeah. But leaving the dentist, I don't know if it, because you're hopped up on Novocaine or what it is, but oh, there's a ball. Some sort of payment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A big thing of toys and... So now, anyway. in my drunk drawer, you can dip your hand in. You can find a, a partially expired battery, um, some twine, possibly some soy sauce packets. You never know. All right. You ready for kind of another little fun one here before yeah. we uh, Factoid me. hand it off to, let's see, should we do, you, you know what, I'm going to do, let, let's do a barbecue recipe, yes. then, let's, then we'll do a Mark Eaton, and then we'll do Kathleen Scama. Sounds okay. Good. So, uh, I, did you, uh, we're not going to do news today, but uh, did you did you happen to see the CBS News feed this morning? Uh, on what? I did not. I figured you I'm didn't see that. i check now. This is uh, Source CBS News. Uh-oh. Keep in mind, folks. Keep in mind. This is a big planet. <laughs> That's you what could, they say. You could report on anything you want on this planet. And if you're CBS News... You probably do. You, you, you are one of the leaders in the world. In the world, right? CBS, man. Yeah. I mean, you're talking 60 Minutes. Is 60 Minutes CBS? I have no idea. But I know CBS, NBC, you know, these were the ones that have been around forever. ABC, they got some show, too, called Nightline. Or... Oh, that's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The debate over the geographical center of North America. Did you know that is in North Dakota? Okay, now the, now the geographical center of... The United States, uh-huh. there's a debate over that, too. Now, that's in South Dakota. Okay. Belle Fouche tried to claim it for a long time. That's right. Where Jenica is from. Yep. Okay. Little Belle Fouche. Yep. Well, no. Somebody so from us? like No, somebody from like Ovid or Orvid or something stepped forward. So they got into their debate. Well, there's a kerfuffle now. Oh, no. Kerfuffle. In North Dakota. Fuffling. Oh, it's a kerfuffle. from Rodeo, rodeo, watermelon. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Dateline, Sunday, May 30th. So this was yesterday, but that's okay. We'll make it today. For years, rugby, North Dakota, a tiny spot on the prairie, has made a name for itself from its designation as the geographical center of North American continent. That is, until a bar owner in the town of Robinson, about 100 miles south, used some string and a globe... (laughs) <laughs> to claim that his town was the true center. Oh, man. Okay, everything is right about that sentence. That's, a bar owner. Yep. String. String and globe, a globe. Challenge authority. Yep. Damn right. Okay. Yep. Correspondent Lee Cowan 
visit. I can't get anybody to visit me or support me. But this drunk dude in Robinson said, hey. CBS News. I got a globe and some string and CBS News comes cruising, man. We're doing something wrong, man. We're they overthinking could, things. I just spent the night here too. I, I would have gave him free board, right? Ruby, but okay. Correspondent Lee Collin visited these unassuming contestants <laughs> in a tectonic battle for bragging oh, rights. Nice, That's nice, tectonic. This Very is nice. some top-notch writing, this man. Is somebody who wishes they were covering wrestling. And talked with the geography professor. Oh, he's a professor now. Who armed, owns a bar. Armed with latitudes, longitudes, and algorithms may have laid the center of question to rest. Oh, man. And that's it. That's, that's it. That's and the end of the you're story. just going to leave us with that? <laughs> they, they don't have anything else I'll on the story. I'll be checking tonight to see if there's been a follow up. It's been 24 hours. Is it? Was this on CBS 60 Minutes last night? Was this their lead Dude, story? I don't watch 60 Minutes? Are you kidding me? Up <laughs> <laughs> since Andy Rooney died. That's just so. I saw that. I'm going, uh oh. Because every now and then. Rugby does get challenged. Mm. This is not the first time <laughs> rugby. So rugby, what, what, what's going on, man? You just... Well, you know, they must be looking around going, okay, how do we get more people to this town? Not that I would see that as a big tourist draw, but hey, what do I know? Did they just announce it first and say, yep, that's us. That's us, man. Yep, that's yep. us. How are you going to challenge that? It's like when you get off the plane and you're like, yeah, I'm Mr. Robinson, and yeah, you hop I'm in the limo guy. and go. Yeah, I'm that dude. <laughs> Wherever he drops you off, you take a cab from there. Well, see, I wonder if they're taking into account plate tectonics, man, because in theory, stuff's moving around all the time, Well, right? that's where I, I think we might have to go out there. I mean, if it's good enough for CBS 60 Minutes to fly somebody. I mean, they, you got to remember, I don't even know if they send anybody to the Dapple protest. You know what we'll do? We'll get our we'll get a box of those 40-foot directional drilling tapes, and we'll go out there, and we'll find the center. With that, we are going to transition right now to a ripping barbecue recipe, because it's Memorial Day. We're keeping it light. We're having some fun. A kerfuffle, kerfuffle in North Dakota, folks. Rugby has been challenged by a bar owner in Robinson, North Dakota, and it's set so much ripple through the tectonic plates... That CBS News yeah. sent a correspondent, Lee Cowan, out there, this man. This is an important story, man. Civilization is crumbling to the ground. In other news, the crude life will be spent sending Jason Spies as a correspondent out to Bismarck to interview Michael Regan from the EPA. <laughs> Barbecue recipe up next. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com.
The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to gam.ai. That's Great American Mining, gam.ai. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. What's your name and what company are you cooking for today? Dennis Jarrett. I cook with Steffes Corporation. Now, are you employed with Steffes or are you a ringer like all these other guys I'm finding out? No, I work for Steffes. Okay, I just I just did a story on Steffes about their uh, water heaters, which uh, PJ, PMJ has in their lobby. And so you guys are kind of revolutionizing some of the smart heaters and that sort of thing. So uh, kudos to you guys there by uh, being innovative in this uh, energy world. So let's talk a little bit about smoking and uh, cooking barbecue. So what are, we, what are we cooking today? Well, today we cooked um, pork butt and then pulled it. It's a pulled pork. And then we did baby back ribs. Well, you did both. So let's start with the pork butt. Um, give me time and, and marinades and rubs and just kind of, you know, the process, what went into it. I start with an injection then it sits overnight. And then right, right before it goes on the fire, we um, will put our dry rub on. And I cook it today since we're limited on time and I didn't feel like cooking overnight on there. We cooked it about 300 for four to four and a half hours, really up to an internal temperature of about 135, 140 degrees. Then we'll pull it and wrap it for three to four hours at 300 just to finish it and then it goes into a cooler to rest for a couple hours. If you didn't have a time restraint, how long would the process normally take, do you think? Typically, a pork butt that's about seven, eight pounds, you're looking at 14 hours on a regular, slow, low cook at 200 to 225. 
How about the ribs? Uh, talk to me about the process with the ribs. Well, with the ribs, I always start with a mustard rub and let that sit. Let it sit in mustard overnight. You know, just a nice layer of mustard on top of it. Then the next, when we're ready to cook them, we'll of course put some dry rub on it. And it'll go in at about 250 for roughly two hours. Most of the time I do it by feel. I'll pick up the rack and how does it feel if it's ready or not. Then we'll pull it and wrap it. And the whole time that's cooking in the in the smoke, we're also spritzing it about every 20 minutes, half hour with apple juice. Keep keep the moisture in. And after it's been on a couple hours, we'll pull it out, wrap it, put it back on the heat for a couple more hours, and then pull it and put it in the cooler to rest for at least an hour. How about when it comes to either having a pan of water in the in there to kind of help with the steam and keep it moist, and also do you use any kind of hickory or charcoal or pecan or anything? Well, today I'm using a combination of apple and pecan. And on the pork butts, we did a little bit of hickory. Just pretty much one smoke round until it started burning out of hickory. Um, I, like the, I like the flavors of apple and pecan. Apple adds a little bit of sweetness in the smoke, and pecan's kind of a really mild, mellow smoke. But I think it just adds good. All the ribs we did today were strictly on pecan. Okay. And what the, the, the water pan. Oh, the water pan? Um, this round, I actually didn't do any water pan because we added supplemental moisture by spritzing with apple okay. juice on there. Typically, on a long, you know, on a long, long smoke, I will have an extra water pan just to keep the moisture in there because a lot of times, if you're if you're running a propane smoker or something like that, you're not checking it all that often. So you need something that's gonna keep that moisture going in there. All right, how about for uh, tips for any young or old aspiring pit masters, what would be your advice for them? You know, go read stuff on the internet. The internet's full of all sorts of tips and tricks, really. Or come to something like this and just talk to people. I'm always willing to share information on how to do it. I won't give you my rub recipe, I won't give you my barbecue sauce recipe, but I'll tell you how to cook it. You know, because there's a, I would say there there is an amount, a level of art to cooking something in a field. And that's, you gotta get out and do it. I think anybody can smoke. There's all sorts of smokers out there. You've got a variety, we've got a variety here. We've got propane smokers, and then we've got stick burners, charcoal and wood, which is my, my preference, except it takes more attention. I also have an electric smoker at home that I use at least once a week. That's for the quick, throw it in there, go away for a while. You know, and anybody can do it. There's a smoker out there for anybody. Just don't be afraid to try if you like barbecue. What's your favorite thing to barbecue? Pork loin. Pork loin. I make, I'll say it, an amazing pork loin. Just, I have found that that's the, that's the meat that I cook the best, and I don't do it here. I also like brisket though too. I, I really love to do brisket, but that takes, that's an 18 hour cook. 
I refuse to try to go fast with a brisket. You mentioned you make your own barbecue sauce. Um, what style would that be? Is it a vinegar base? Is it a sweet? Is it spicy? My preference, personal preference, is a vinegar-based barbecue sauce. So that's my recipe is vinegar-based. I made one today that was kind of an experiment that's actually really sweet. It's got apricots in it. Oh, okay. And it's real sweet and not really zesty in there, but the only thing I, I can think of that people could relate it to would be like sweet and sour sauce, but more on the sweet than on the sour. Okay. That's it, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. Just remember your tax will only last if you don't take off your mask. When the outside's chilly and the inside is warm, you've been wishing you never been born. All I can say, you try to behave and try not to get your mind. The Crude Life, the most trusted voice in energy. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas, and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It's an important part of what goes on in the state, and safety is is really important, obviously, to all of us. Absolutely. You know, the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused. I mean, uh, the President Biden's administration, that this is Obama-Biden 2.0 plus. And the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. Welcome back to the Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. I am Sean Forbes with TeamForbes.com and OGDirectory.com. Jason Spies is my co-host today. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas, and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is, ladies, put your clothes on, okay? 
If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. It's a funny thing when I think sometimes it's just really ironic. I'll, I we used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company? <laughs> pull in an electric car. So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at Whiting, our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Well, I was two years old when John Lennon died. Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye. Yeah, next go, I think it's Paul I say. We are now outside of the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference in front of the big giant gorilla. Doug Wiles is with me. He's the Bismarck City Forester. Is that the correct title? That's correct. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us here today. One of the things we wanted to ask you about was just some of the uh, advantages of trees and some of the obstacles that you have as a city uh, forester, I guess would be the right term. But also, you guys just had Arbor Day, so let's talk about your Arbor Day celebration in Bismarck, North Dakota. Yeah, Arbor Day in North Dakota falls on the first Friday in May, and last week we got to celebrate with a fourth grade class from Liberty Elementary. We honored a, a local developer for the work that he's done to improve and increase our urban forestry in Bismarck, and the, the kids at Liberty Elementary put on a, a little production of poems and skits and even a rap uh, to celebrate trees, so it was pretty exciting. Urban forestry, what is that? Urban forestry, we look at, you know, the collection of all the street trees on public and private property, the the cities, the trees around the city as a forest, uh, as an ecosystem, uh, and so that term is used to describe all the trees within the city. Let's talk about trees in a city. Uh, I've made the contention that half the trees planted in the United States over the last 20 years by cities and nonprofits have died in the first year. And that was a, a study out of Clemson a number of years ago that I cited. Um, I'm not f- sure if you're familiar with studies like that or if you think I'm out of line for making statements like that. But that's just the research I've done. You're the expert. Talk to me about the cities when it comes to the planning and the uh, uh, trees and just that whole thing. Uh, you're not far off. I don't know the exact statistic on the survival rate of trees within the urban environment, but it is significantly lower than what you would find in a natural forest. Or expect, I imagine. Right, right. And it's pretty obvious that the urban environment is much more harsh. We, we're warmer than, you know, outside of city limits. There's not a lot of water. There's concrete. So there's a lot of things stacked against trees to start with. Uh, one of those... You know, if a tree's not planted properly, that's that's a uh, a big strike against it. You know, it, it takes some knowledge and it takes some technique to ensure that those trees are going to start off on the right foot. And that's one thing that, that maybe isn't taken into consideration when people plant trees or organizations or even municipalities plant trees is the amount of work that it takes 
to make a tree succeed um, beyond those first few years. It, it takes watering, it takes uh, staking and, and protecting that tree for a number of years. So it's a lot of man hours, it's a lot of resources that are required. Um, yeah, so I would say that stat's pretty close. How about when it comes to tree selection? Uh, we'd like to give the example of, and I don't know if this was just a North Dakota, Minnesota, Midwestern thing, but it just seemed like the way the government solved tree problems for 20, 30 years was, let's go plant 10,000 ash trees. And then all of a sudden, some beetle came and took them all out. Well, let's plant 20,000 elm trees to make up for it. Well, then the elm dutch disease came. and What's going on in the terms of, I guess, uh, a mixed bag of trees, if you will? Or are we still just kind of throwing all of our seeds in one basket? No, we've uh, unfortunately had a couple different pests come through in disease cycles that have... uh have uh, taught us a tough lesson. You know, first it was Dutch elm disease, where, you know, in North Dakota, the American elm, it's our state tree, and it's a great tree. It grows fast, provides a lot of shade, but we had a ton of them, you know, and then when Dutch elm disease came, we, we've lost a lot. Unfortunately, in Bismarck, we have a great management program, and we've been able to keep some of those trees. Uh, but then once we lost the elm trees, people started planting ash trees all over the place, and unfortunately, it leads to, to high percentages of ash trees in urban forests, specifically in the northern plains, because it grows well. And it's set us up for some big-time failures once Emerald Ash Borer gets to North Dakota. So the big push now is diversity. We try to, to plant no more than 10% of any genus on our, on our boulevard, so diversity is key to having a resilient forest. That's interesting. So we're talking about 10%. That's a low number for yeah. to go from 100%, you know, ash trees, now only 10%, which is, you know, good. But how does that work then? Do, do people get to choose or is it based on, well, we're all out of apple trees, so you can't do apple trees until these, these species or genus have been satisfied. How does that work? So... For us in Bismarck, uh, we don't allow people to plant ash trees on the boulevard anymore. Uh, so that's one one thing that we've done. And, and that 10% is a goal. That's yeah. what we're trying okay. to achieve. So um, people are going to plant what they're going to plant. And a tree, any tree is better than no tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to educate the citizens about what we're trying to accomplish, why that diversity is important, and uh, teaching them that, like I said, diversity is resiliency. I always tell people it's good to have loose guidelines. You know, you, you, if they get too far out of whack, well, then you got to talk about it. But if it stays around there, hey, it's as long as you're shooting 80%, you're doing pretty good, you know, that type of thing. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what oil and gas can do to help. I was talking to a few people about Arbor Day, and it sounded like there was some good support from the community, but not a lot of industry showed up to be a part of that and we're trying to get more industry involvement one of the reasons why you're here is a very non-partisan very non-neutral hey let's just talk about trees what are some things either oil companies energy companies have done around the city of bismarck to help with the tree programs or things maybe that have been said in meetings that you would like to tell 
energy companies because it's a it's a sticky situation to ask for help but at the same time we're in the day and age where we got to do it now right uh so actually marathon does contribute to our programs they contribute a couple thousand dollars a year to that and that's something that you know the industry could do all municipalities are are looking for creative ways to to fund some of their programs uh in our in our case we're looking for ways to fund tree planting or to fund projects you know sometimes we try to partner with uh scouts or other small groups and you know as a municipality budgets are always a constraint so trying to find creative ways and partners and and groups to partner with to to make those great ideas happen where are you from i'm from missouri missouri all right give us your wave to north dakota how did you end up in north dakota how many stops along the way uh well i undergraduate I, i went to missouri played baseball there and then uh ended up moving to Idaho where I went to grad school and got a master's in natural resources and um, after grad school my first job uh, as a forester was in Jamestown North Dakota and then shortly after got to Bismarck Jamestown I know. okay oh okay what were you doing in Jamestown again I was a city forester in Jamestown all right, Jamestown, North Dakota, I imagine. Okay, not Jamestown, Virginia. No, no, all right. North Dakota. So, all right, let's just uh, kind of wrap her up here. As I'm, I wanted to find out just kind of your background a little bit to see if you spend any time in any sort of uh, green states. And I don't mean green politically. I mean just green, oh. Colorado green, Oregon green, Idaho green, you know. One night I'm doing a show, a late night call-in show. Is uh, the seven to ten o'clock shift, okay? And we had on a guest on from the Park Service talking about just some of the problems with park and how we can fix it, this and that. We got a call in Badger Canyon, Idaho, and they talked about how there's no badgers there anymore. And he was really depressed about that, and so I wanted to ask you about just habitat permaculture the different layers involved with forests because as i conclude the interview i just wanted people to understand that there are layers of impact with these forests and part of the industrial forest that we're trying to do is is create this idea of a forest in the city limits and in the city limits well then you're going to bring in pollinators but also different animals and foliage and all kinds of different things talk about the permaculture and the layers of a forest if you wouldn't mind because it's it's critical but i think it's really easily overlooked sure um you know i mentioned the term ecosystem previously and it's kind of a word that's thrown around but there's layers to an ecosystem right um in a forest environment you have layers of canopy where you have the overstory understory and and everything in between and and in those ecosystems you have different resources that wildlife and even people have have survived on for for hundreds and thousands of years and we're kind of divorced from that in the urban environment where we have you know just a couple layers of canopy and there's there's nothing else going on below because of development Um, but there are opportunities in in parks and areas set aside where we can rehabilitate some of that um do some plantings that are a little more holistic and not so um specific it doesn't have to be just an orchard or just a bunch of shade trees it can be be a mixed forest where where you would get different uses like you said where where wild wildlife and, and people can kind of um maybe not necessarily congregate together but definitely use it and the community would have great benefits in that 
how can people help out the forestry department? Do you know? I know you're not in sales or anything like that, but I mean, is there a way that people can get involved? Yeah, we look. You know, every year we try to get volunteers, and um, we have different opportunities for that. And then we have. Uh, opportunities to donate to our planting program. We have a Partners in Planting program. It's been around for about 24 years, and we raise money annually, and the city matches that to to get trees out on the boulevard. Last year, we had about a thousand trees planted on the boulevard as a result of that program. So that's something people can do. The other thing is just be mindful of the environment you have that you can directly affect. You know, we're in a drought right now. Water in your trees is the best thing I could ask you to do once a week make sure the tree gets an inch of water throughout the drip line um, a lot of people plant a tree and forget it as we alluded to earlier in our conversation and if you know the citizens of Bismarck are able to help in that way that would keep our forest healthy and preserve it for benefits that other people are going to have in the future heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Orange Property Management. The origins of Orange Property Management date back to the year 2000 when Fargo native Mike Marcel, an entrepreneur who was living in California, was starting to acquire residential properties in the Bay Area as a little side venture. Fast forward to today, Orange Property Management has grown to 36 full-time employees across 13 communities with a portfolio of over 1,300 residential and commercial units ranging from single-family homes to multi-family apartment Developments. For more information, visit their website, orangeproperties.com. That's orangeproperties.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by. For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in Western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Kathleen Scammell, president of Western Energy Alliance. Thank you for joining the program here today. And I just wanted to find out a little bit about some banking uh, regulation and then just get an update as well from uh, anything else that you guys have going on. I know it's been a busy time for everybody with the legislative sessions wrapping up, some of them still going, of course, in the Fed. So uh, thank you for joining the program here today. Let's get right into the banking and then access, fairness, everything that has to do with capital and credit. So um, first of all, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Jason? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Are you are you going to Washington at all, or is everything still Zoom? Well, you know, I was just testifying uh, before the 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 Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee maybe three weeks ago, something like that. Um, but yeah, a lot is still via Zoom, which is kind of ridiculous because uh, every member of Congress from what I understand, has been vaccinated. So they should be able to show some leadership and get back to work. I was talking to Senator Kramer off the air about this a little bit because we, we talked a little bit about cancer culture at the end of the interview, how that was kind of bleeding into some of the banking uh, decision-making and ESG reporting and et cetera. But we were talking just about how you know getting, getting people off Zoom is going to help the economy. We were just kind of joking about that because the, if the leadership gets out and, and shows that they're moving in and about, that'll trickle down to the rest of the people in the terms of safe and that sort of thing. So anywho, um, talk to, let's talk a little bit about banking and, and the petroleum industry and the oil and gas industry, coal specifically, those uh, fossil fuels, because we, we've said rank prejudice for probably three years now on this program that it's, it's becoming a rank prejudice. And now it's starting to get into the banking side of things. And this is serious business now, literally. So uh, what, what's your observations? What are you guys working on out there? And let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I think you're right on the right track, tying it sort of to cancel culture, because there is a movement to use financial institutions as a way to implement policies that don't have the support of the American people. So if the American people and their elected representatives agreed with certain policies, then they should be able to pass through Congress. Um, since they don't, it indicates that there's a divide and that, you know, um, you know, if one side wants something to be put in place, but they can't get it through Congress, well, that's how a democracy works, how a representative government works. It's not supposed to be easy. You're not supposed to get whatever you want completely because there are different views in, 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 a, in a democracy like ours. So, the left has been unsuccessful in certain policies through Congress, and instead of doing the hard work of winning more at the ballot box, 
they are now trying to pressure companies directly to implement policies that they can't otherwise get passed into law. And so, I mean, we saw it with the reaction to Georgia, right? Now, that was a law that was put in place through the democratic process. But um, because the left didn't like it, they pressured companies to oppose it, and, and Major League Baseball, most prominently, to oppose it because, you know, it, it, it disagreed with how they thought about it. And so there's this movement to use pressure on companies and financial institutions uh, for things that the left doesn't like, and they don't like fossil fuels. Now, I don't know why they don't like fossil fuels, because they wouldn't survive a day without fossil fuels. They wouldn't survive a day without their cell phones and without 24-7 electricity and without it being able to drive their cars wherever they wanted to go. But, you know, we have been politically unpopular not for the last few years, but for decades now. Um, we're right now in another cycle, like we saw at the beginning of the Obama administration, and it's not too terribly different. Yes, the um, rhetoric is amped up, but it's not too terribly difficult. Uh, different what we're seeing in Congress. You know, legislation to make it more difficult to develop American oil and gas. But ultimately, a lot of that's not going to pass through Congress. So the left knows that, and they are using financial institutions to try to pressure them not to um, bank or not to provide capital to oil and natural gas and coal. And um, that's a way that they would be very effective in shutting down the industries. So um, that's what's new, really. The political landscape really hasn't changed. You still can't get any of this extreme stuff through Congress, but if you can get banks and certain large companies even to agree with some of these things, I mean, we see very large international companies that um, are agreeing to policies that quite arguably aren't good for the oil and natural gas industry, well, then you don't need Congress, do you? You can do an end run around Congress. And that's why I think Senator Kramer's work is so important. Um, you know, he's got some bills. Well, he's got a bill that would be fantastic if it passed, but, you know, it's not going to pass this Congress because of the makeup of the Senate and the House. But it's good work uh, that sets up the future. And his, his letters and his questioning of CEOs that are debanking oil and natural gas and coal, that's very important work to raise awareness. Um, because, you know, oil, gas, and coal, we provide over 80% of Americans' energy. I don't really think it would be popular if people didn't have access to 80% of the energy that they need. You know, it's great to talk about wind and solar and um, those politically favored types of energy, but they don't really provide the vast majority of the power we use. And, you know, of that 80%, you know, the remaining 20%, most of that comes from hydro, nuclear, biomass. Um, it's not made up primarily of wind and solar. So really, um, I don't think it would be that popular if 80% or more of our energy went away um, because of Congress. So um, his activities pressuring banks to not go down that anti-democratic path is really important work, and we really appreciate him doing it. 
It's it's amazing what you've got going on because you know you you represent the western the the western states and and energy and you know you've got pipeline battles you've got executive order battles you've got not you got sage grouse battles now you've got uh, well Senator Kramer and I even we just touched on the U.S. water rights issues and then. Um, the uh, what's the, what's the other one? I was just I was gonna think. Anyway, you, you you get the idea. Do, do you have like a top one or two, or is it just kind of the the, the the issue or the du jour that you go after? How do how do you get a handle on your day? Um, you know, like I said, Congress is so divided. It's not like we're getting all this new legislation. It's not like we're getting all this new legislation passed. Um, again, with a divided Congress, uh, the the really extreme bills don't pass. But we're really focused on and gearing up for the regulatory onslaught that will be coming out of the Biden administration, just like it came out of the uh, Obama-Biden administration. Well, I do so think... I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I've heard a number of people, I think yourself included, the last year really kind of pontificating that this is going to be like an Obama administration on steroids. And um, it, it is becoming um, a very fast track in a lot of different areas. So that's why I was kind of like, boy, you're really getting hit by a lot of different issues all at one time. And, um, you know, that's why. Go, go ahead. Yeah, but yeah. we're used to it. <laughs> you know, we're used to it. We always do. Um, you know, there was a bit of a reprieve during the Trump administration, but that's when uh, – the left focused on pressuring banks, right? Yeah. You know, they knew they couldn't get something through Congress or through the Trump administration. So they really worked on pressuring banks and pressuring um, large companies to agree to certain policies that otherwise would not be in, in their interests. And so, you know, it, we're used to it. Um, you'd have to take it as it comes. Um, the Attempts to deny capital to oil and natural gas is, however, very concerning to me. Um, you know, if we don't produce it here in the United States, that doesn't mean that people aren't going to use it. We provide, through oil, gas, and coal, 80% of Americans' energy. So if we don't produce it here, guess what? It comes in from overseas. So it's just so totally nonsensical that we would pursue policies to make it difficult for the American producer to produce, but make it easier for the Iranian producer to produce. And then we rely on, you know, his uh, oil instead of our own. So at the end of the day, reason and reality does set in, but a misguided administration can do a lot of damage. And so um, we have to work really hard in the regulatory realm. Um, we're trying to push back, and Senator Kramer, again, has been very helpful on the financial issues. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, have a, I have faith that we will figure this out eventually, but it's just ridiculous to try to hamstring the American producer, um, which only advantages the Iranian, the Russian, and the uh, Saudi producer. 
Yeah, it's a, we're living in some different times when court cases in Denmark and minority 0.002 shareholders are making the news uh, in the world of energy. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's a kind right. of a topsy-turvy times. But uh, just kind of, I'm looking at the clock here and appreciate the time that you're giving us. I, do, I have, just have two more questions. Uh, first one is I wanted to get kind of a recap of what you testified last month in front of the, uh, in, in, in Washington on, and then also I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the great outdoors, this Memorial weekend for crying out loud. So we better give a plug to that. But, uh, what was going on in Washington last month when you were there? Well, it's all around the Biden ban on new leasing on federal lands. Um, it was clear during the election that he wanted to get rid of oil and natural gas on federal lands. And so one of the first things he did was to ban new leasing. And so we have been very busy, not just in court, but in the court of public opinion, getting the word out and in front of the committee on what the real ramifications are for a leasing ban. And so we talk about the economic, you know, we talked about the economic um, damage to the West that results from that leasing ban and just how it's bad policy. So that was the main focus on that. But I'm glad you brought up um, the great outdoors because I think something that no one advised President Biden about is that basically any conservation funding on public lands comes from the oil and natural gas industry. So we provide up to $2.8 billion every year in funding that goes directly into conservation and infrastructure in national parks and other public lands. So if the ultimate goal of the leasing ban is achieved, and that ultimate goal would be to get rid of oil and gas on federal lands, including on existing leases, not just new leases, um, then all that funding is at risk. And that funding comes from offshore as well. So it's not only misguided to send our energy production overseas, but it would starve the conservation that people rely on. So when they go over Memorial Day to go to Devil's Tower and Yosemite and, you know, national parks, then they're going to continue their deterioration because there's no other source of funding that Congress has provided to take care of that infrastructure backlog and that conservation. Okay, I'm, I'm quickly writing my notes here. You said $2.8 billion annually, and what was the $20 billion again? Was that the um, ba- maintenance backlog? Is that what you said? So, oh, I didn't say that now. Oh, I'm sorry. There th- yeah, there's a maintenance backlog of $20 billion in national parks and public lands. So the infrastructure, uh, roads, bridges, visitor centers, campgrounds, those all um, have not been fully funded by Congress for years. And so there's about a $20 billion backlog of projects that need to get done on our public lands. And last year, Congress passed a bill that enables up to $1.6 billion to be uh, taken from oil and gas on federal lands and put towards that maintenance backlog. And in addition to that, $900 million a year comes from offshore oil and gas leasing and royalty revenue and goes into the Land and Water Conservation Fund. And that, again, funds conservation and other projects on federal lands. That's incredible. Um, 
I'd, I'd like to, the reason I'm, I'm kind of trying to mix my notes and questions together here is we're doing, in the month of June, we're doing um, oil and water do mix. And um, we're showing, you know, kayaks, explaining to the world that before oil and gas, you know, animals and, and everything were used for kayaks. Now it's, it's different types of plastics. And so, and people love being on the water kayaking, don't they? And just talking about all the different ways that the, the, the fossil fuel industry and the outdoors and the waters, they do mix. Oil and water does mix. And so this is another example in my mind where this is another way that the, the petroleum industry, the fossil fuel industry, the energy industry really has allowed uh, the, the, the coexistence of outdoor activities and great outdoors and just getting us out there. So anyway, I, this is really neat stuff. So how did, do you guys have this somewhere, by the way? Sure. Aaron can send you um, a paper about it. Okay. I'll, we'll, we'll link it on our website too. That's uh, fascinating stuff. So that's the, uh, you said the Great Outdoors Act, right? Great American yep. Outdoors Act. That's it. So. Okay. Yeah, I'll have him send you something on that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, happy Memorial Day. Be safe. And uh, Likewise. You, you, you doing much this uh, Memorial weekend? No, not too much. Just a few things here and there. Not traveling anywhere. I, uh, yeah, how about you? Mental catch-up. My son just got done with school. Apparently they can end uh, oh, ha- halfway during the week if they pull an all-nighter. So, um it's a, he, did, he had the uh, homeschooling this year, the distance learning, so a lot of it's just kind of time recorded. And um, uh-huh. yeah, so he's he's off now. So it's uh, school's out for summer, good times. So Great. so mental Excellent. catch up, and uh, you take care. Exclusive interview, industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. heard on the crude life morning show play hard work hard is by the moody river band interested in becoming a sponsor email studio at the crude the crude life play hard work hard is sponsored in part by great american mining monetizes wasted stranded and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for bitcoin mining Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to 
GAM.AI. That's Great American Mining, GAM.AI. The Crude Life with host Jason Spees. My name is Jason Spees, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Lynn Helms, the director for the North Dakota Mineral Resources. And today's interview is conducted by Crude Life content correspondent, Jenica Hauser. You wear multiple hats because you, let's see, you're the director of for the marketing as well, aren't you? Part of our job is to promote the production of the resource. And we, we have a promotional arm, which is the geological survey. And their job is to identify valuable mineral resources in the state and promote them to investors to come and drill or mine or um, extract those minerals and boost our economy. So, yes, I, I straddle that fence. I have a geological survey that does that. Uh, publication and promotion, and I have an oil and gas division that does regulation. Wow! So that's you. You've got you've got a, a large role to fill then in the uh, energy industry for North Dakota. Is what that means, right? It feels like <laughs> it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Well, uh, the individuals here were lucky enough to get to hear you speak just a little bit ago. But I thought maybe if you'd be interested, you could share with our listeners what you were talking about in regards to North Dakota oil and gas. Sure. So we just came off a decade of phenomenal growth where North Dakota went from number eight in production to number two, went from 100,000 barrels of oil a day to 1.5 million barrels a day and grew the state population fourth uh, highest growth rate in the nation between the 2010 and 2020 census. So we saw places like McKenzie County, Watford City, triple their population uh, over the last 10 years. And all of that because of people investing in oil and gas and moving to North Dakota to make that happen. So then 2020 happened. Everything came to a screeching halt over a very short period of time. So we partnered uh, using CARES Act money, partnered with the industry to keep a core group of, of people employed. To listen to the full-length interview with Lynn Helms, Director for the North Dakota Mineral Resources, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life promotes a culture of inclusion and respect through interviews, content creation, live events, partnerships that educate, enrich, and empower people to create a positive social environment for all, regardless of age, race, religion, sexual orientation, physical, or intellectual ability. Everyday energy for everyday people. For more, visit thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spees, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. We're going to do a good old-fashioned Bakken barbecue. Halliburton has been cooking for two days. Uh, they've cooked 2,500 pounds of pork, 800 pounds of sausage, uh, 500 pounds of chicken. So they say banging and the vocals are up. 
everyone's favorite are the fish tacos, but they've got burgers, steaks, salads, I mean, pretty much everything. And the first experience was, oh, where are all the rigs? Because you have so much country here. In a car, they're in a tent, they're in some other building that's not meant for human habitation. We've actually found people living in haystacks, in uh, grain bins. We found one guy that basically gets shelter in a culvert each night. This was one of those stories where one reporter can't cover. There's too much happening at one time in too many places. If you hear it and it ain't stuck in your head all day, it's got a pop back beat and it's sung the wrong way. If you're not making money in the Bakken, you just truly are not thinking hard enough. Brother, it ain't country, no. Looking for a helping hand? Look at the end of your doggone arm. North Dakotans aren't looking over their shoulder for the government to help them. Some as long as I'm working, my mom and dad are happy. Okay. <laughs> shower. Well, that was always a key, especially going to Thunder Bay. And he doesn't like life, I guess. <laughs> Insanity, right? North Dakota, the Bakken Plague. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. 7foot4.com. 7foot4.com. Uh, Mark Eaton, former basketball player with the Utah Jazz, now a motivational speaker and businessman here at the uh, GIC conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I understand you recently were in Dickinson, North Dakota, doing some public speaking. Talk to me a little bit about that. I did. I was invited by the uh, Five Diamond Industrial Park uh, group up there in Dickinson to come up and speak at their uh, economic summit that they put on last October. And they brought a wide variety of uh, industry leaders and state and county and local government officials together uh, for a, a day just to discuss the issues of what's going on in the, in the Bakken's. And so it was an opportunity to I, I speak about teamwork, but I was able to kick off the meeting and kind of get everybody at least on the same page about thinking about working better together. And I enjoyed my stay there and fascinating to listen to the different issues and challenges that both the private and public sector faced up there and what they were doing to address it. So I learned a lot while I was there. I probably learned more than I, than I gave them, I think. Was that your first time in Dickinson? It was my first time in Dickinson, yeah. What was your observations uh, knowing that the town is supposed to have services and people for people of 15,000? Well, you know, I thought the most fascinating aspect of the conference to me was listening to some of the, the county and government officials uh, talk about what growth was going to be just temporary versus what was long, you know, longer term growth. So which services they need to provide right now and then, you know, eight or 10 or 15 years from now, who was still going to be there given the projected growth of the industry up there? And uh, I thought that was the most interesting aspect. You know, how do you decide how much money you put into new infrastructure versus what the long-term payoff of that, of that extra infrastructure is going to be? So 
uh, you know, it's it's clearly a challenge. I mean, it's a good problem to have because you've got growth going on, but at the same time, I could really see uh, how maybe difficult it was for the, the leaders and the public sector to decide where do we put our dollars, how do we spend, you know, what do we really improve, and, and is that is that going to is the payoff going to be there over the long term? So. You can almost see where it's reverse. It's a good thing, but you don't want to let the horse out of the barn because if the horse is out, boy, that that's yeah. And it sounds like they've been through some boom and bust mm -hmm. up there before, and and so they clearly have that experience to look back on and make their decision. But uh, I just found it very intriguing and interesting to listen to the to both sides of the conversation. Now you mentioned teamwork and the working relationship between private sector, government sector and even nonprofit if you want to throw them in there and it's almost a teamwork atmosphere to get things done. Uh, Coach Dale Brown and I spoke about uh, longevity within an organization. If you look at boarding organizations historically that have longevity within their administration and coaching that generally equals success. Uh, your thoughts on that and put that into the business world a little bit. How important is longevity in successful business? I think it's very important. If you use the sports metaphor for a minute, um, uh, you look at the great NBA teams, the Lakers, the Celtics, and that core group of people does not change very much year after year because it takes a few years to build that rapport and that understanding of each other out there on the court. And I think business is much the same way. We unfortunately live in a corporate environment now where people are constantly changing jobs and stepping on each other to try and get ahead. Uh, but the companies that you have a tendency to admire are the ones that do have that longevity, that do have the core group of management, you know, core management team that stays together, the core sales team that stays together, because you learn how to work better together. And if you can understand the concept of teamwork and kind of get off of that tangent that, well, I just need to climb on everybody else if I'm going to get my career further ahead and understand the concept that if the team wins, you win. Uh, then I think that that bodes well for your long-term success. And I've certainly seen that as I travel around the country and speak to different businesses. The ones that take that attitude and are really there for their teammates uh, and taking care of them and let's, let's work on this together, how can I help you and how can you help me, uh, seem to have a much happier culture internally in their business and seem to have much greater results from a bottom line perspective than the ones that are constantly changing and moving all the time and mm -hmm. this person goes and that one's coming in and it's just you know now we're, we were doing management systems this way now we're going to do them that way there's no consistency and continuity and people are just like i'm just going to show up and put in my eight hours and i'm out of here uh so i think that's the, the the culture that you have to look at if you're a boss or a ceo where where do you want to go what you know what are your missions and values and what do you what do you want to stand for at the end of the day because your culture is going to have a direct impact on, on what your bottom line is. Coach Dale Brown also said uh, Coach Wooden from UCLA would not last today because he didn't have his first winning season or had it. It took him 10 years about to get a winning season going and a winning team going. And he, all, and he thought that was a travesty because of the way people are today for those reasons you just mentioned earlier. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think somebody like a, uh, a, are there other John Woodens out there that we'll never get to see because they get cut right away, either in business yeah, sports or whatever? Yeah, I, I think in business and in sports, it's win now, win now at any cost, mm -hmm. and very little time is spent on developing your team, developing your philosophy, developing your players. And I think there's a lot of guys that get sold short and a lot of coaches that get sold short because of that. So Coach John was a perfect example. He spent years building his pyramid of success mm -hmm. and his baseline philosophy of what he 
came to believe team was all about, uh, and which was evidenced by you know ten national championships. Uh, and there's so little tolerance nowadays for let's take this player and let him develop for a couple years. Let's work with him. Let's assign a special coach to him. Let's really help train him to do his job well. Uh, we, we have a tendency in business now to go from the hiring to the judging space. And uh, there's a great book written uh, a number of years ago by Ken Blanchard called Raving Fans. And he talks about the, the missing component of coaching that people don't spend very much time teaching people how to do their jobs and help them develop. And where do you want to go with your career? And how can I help you in the context of what we're doing here in this, mm -hmm. this organization? So, so yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's very true and, and unfortunate, and um, I, I hope that eventually it'll shift around the other way. Uh, any advice you might have for uh, anybody looking at investing in the Bakken and getting out in the Bakken? I'm not sure your affiliation. Do you, are you investing in the Bakken in no, any no, way? I don't have any okay. investment in the Bakken. Like uh, no. Any advice you might have, whether it's a 24-year-old fresh out of school going out there to make his first million or a 65-year-old uh, a seasoned veteran going out there. You've been out there. You understand communication. You understand relationships. Uh, it is kind of a, a blanket statement. I understand that. But any advice you might have for somebody who's looking at doing doing that, getting out there making a million bucks? Well, I think the opportunities are certainly there. I think you have to be smart about it, like any other thing. And, and uh, you know, oil and gas investment is a mm -hmm. is a risky proposition in the best of circumstances. Uh, and again, to me, it goes back to who's the team you're working with. And it's fascinating when you listen to business investors talk about companies that are going to that are going to go public or they're thinking about going public. Uh, the one thing they're always asking is who's on your team, who are your teammates, and so. My best advice would be to find a great team. Find somebody that's really doing it well and go work for them and figure out what it is they're doing before you decide to strike out on your own or do something differently. But uh, the, the one that has the best management team, the happiest employees, that's the person I want to work for. Thank you very much, Mark Eaton. Okay, thank you. Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band.
Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.